listening to the Hope Unlimited Church podcast. We are so honored to connect with you, and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Come on, y'all give it up for Jesus this morning. Come on. Come on, am I at the right place today? Come on, y'all give it up for Jesus this morning. Amen. Hope Unlimited. You can be seated. You can be seated. It's so good to be here. Thank you so much, Pastor Cole. I want to start before we uh, even get into this today. Uh, I want to give honor, first of all, uh, I want to give honor to your pastors, to Pastors Cole and Anna Burks. You guys have incredible leaders here. Y'all have incredible leaders. Uh, you know, I've I've spent, I, I've been saved since I was born. Anybody else been saved since you were born? I'm not messing with your theology. I just mean I grew up in church my whole life. I can't remember a time I didn't serve God. And I've been to a lot of churches all over this nation. And I I can honestly say you guys have some of the, uh, your pastors love you. They love this city. And they're here for you. So one more time, can we give it up for Pastor Cole and Pastor Anna? They're incredible. Come on, y'all can do better than that. Come on, on. y'all let them know that you love them this morning, that you appreciate them and everything they do. Pastor Cole, he mentioned the transition. I I remember uh, your founding pastor, Pastor Casey, which we love him, and Pastor Lindsay as well. You can probably bring me down just a hair so I don't feed back. I get loud. Uh, I'm not even going yet. Uh, But Pastor Casey, Pastor Lindsay, they're some of our best friends in the world. And I remember last year, towards the end of June, Pastor Casey sending me a text and telling me, we feel like God's telling us to do this. And my first response was, stop trolling me right now. I don't know what you're talking about. And one of the first questions I asked him, I said, well, if y'all transition, who's going to lead the church? And he said, well, Cole. And honestly, I didn't even really know Cole that well. I don't even know if we'd even met at that point. I think we may have interacted some on text or social media or whatever. I don't think we even met each other. And I said, well, you know what? If you you think that Cole's the guy and that he's got this, then I trust your judgment. And I believe that God's doing this and God's in this. And from our first board meeting we had, because I... If you don't know, I serve on your board, so uh, surprise. Uh, From the first board meeting we had with Cole, it was Pastor Cole. It was evident to me that he was the man for the job, and he had it under control. So we love him. We love Anna so much. They're incredible people that love the Lord, love y'all, and uh, that's the most imperative thing. Uh, There's a lot of people that can preach. I know Pastor Cole can preach, but there's a lot of people who can preach, but they don't love the people in their congregation. And I know this beyond a shadow of a doubt. They love y'all, and they're here for y'all. So we love them so much. It's also good, uh, Pastor Cole mentioned it, but it's it's good. Well, I'll do him in a minute. It's good to have some of our one of our staff members from PC in the house today. Uh, Pastor Steve Webb and his wife Christy are here today. It's good to have them. We were talking. They were on vacation this week, but we were we were talking. Uh, y'all were in Georgia, right? And then y'all came up to Knox. We were talking the week before hit vacation. He says, "Yeah, we're going up to Georgia, and we're going to be in Knoxville." I said, "Steve, I'm going to be in Knoxville next Sunday." Um, so it just kind of worked out, and it's good to have them. Steve's been on staff with us now for about seven years. Is that about right? About seven seven years. Uh, Steve leads our worship department. His whole family's involved. His uh, their uh, daughter leads our young adults group, our young adults connect group, and also can shred on the guitar as well. Uh, their son, uh, their son, uh, uh, and I'm completely Keith. Thank you who I've known for a long time and forget his name, apparently. Uh, their son, Keith, uh, is our band leader, uh, plays bass, and is, uh, him and his wife are really involved in our youth ministry. Let me tell you what, that's the kingdom way, family serving together, generations serving together. That's the kingdom way. Can somebody say amen this morning? Listen, you better say amen because you are going to attract what you celebrate. You will attract what you celebrate. And if you look at families that serve together and go, I don't know who think they are, well, then guess what's going to happen? Your family isn't going to serve together. But if you shout about it whenever you see it, then you're going to attract it, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy and serve the Lord all the days of their lives. You better celebrate it. Amen? It's also good. I've got my... My oldest son with me today. My wife is back at home in Panama City. She sends her love, her and our three daughters. But our oldest uh, child, our son, that's right, I said three daughters. So y'all pray for me. Because about 10 years from now, the bills are going to start piling up. 
But uh, those weddings get expensive these days. I'm just, I'm glad I'm the pastor so I don't have to pay somebody to marry him. I can just do it. That's called budgeting right there, or saving money. But it's good to have my, our oldest, my son with me, Josiah. Josiah, stand up, wait, everybody, son. This is my oldest son, Josiah. You're good, son. You can sit down. Beef jerky on Nashville hot chicken sandwiches is the way he rolls. We were back at the hotel. He goes, I, he goes, Dad, I finished my sandwich. I said, oh, yeah. He goes, I put beef jerky on it. I said, you did what? I said, that's a stomach of steel. I was texting some a couple of our other guys last night. I said, because we went to Myrtle's. Is that what it's called? I'm going to preach in a minute. Y'all just let me ramble for a minute. We went to Myrtle's last night. I heard Tom will throw down in Myrtle's is what I was told. We, world champ of Myrtle's right there. It was good stuff. But I could only eat about a quarter of my food. And Tom's going to hate me for that. But I could only eat about a quarter of my food. And uh, I text one of our guys. I said, you know, it's just not fair. I can't. I'm getting inching closer to 40. And I said, you know what? I, I can't eat as much as I used to eat. But it sticks on me more than it used to stick on me. Right, I was telling Cole. I remember when I, I remember going on a cruise whenever I was like 19 years old, eating like a five course meal with a 25 ounce porterhouse steak, and then like getting pizza after, you know. And I felt great. The thought of that makes me nauseous now. Getting old is tough sometimes, but some of y'all don't know nothing about that yet. But you'll just get ready. But with Josiah, let me let me tell you a testimony real quick, and then I'm gonna get to the word. Just because I, I felt compelled to to give this testimony. Uh, so y'all hang with me for a moment, uh, but. Josiah uh, was born in uh, 2009. My wife was pregnant, and we were excited and expecting our first child. And, you know, any of you who are parents know that excitement of getting ready to have your first kid. And uh, we got a word from uh, some dear friends of ours who trusted prophetic voices. And they were in the church, and they gave us a word when Miranda was, uh, let's see, 32, 33 weeks pregnant. And they gave us this word, and they said this. We just see that whenever this child comes, your faith is going to go to new levels like it never has before. And everybody shouts because we just think there's some sort of magic potion that your kid's going to be born and just new faith. And most of the time, experiencing new faith means you're going to have to go through battles you've never gone through before. And you're going to have to believe for some things you've never seen before. And you're going to go through some tough spots that you've never gone through before. And you're just going to have to trust God in the midst of them that he's going to work it out. So fast forward a couple weeks, and my wife is 34 weeks pregnant. It's the sat, it's Saturday night before church, and and I look at her. I remember this clear as day. We're driving back from dinner. I look at her and said, man, he's going to be here so soon. And that night, she started leaking fluid. So she said, we just need to go to the hospital. I said, yeah, let's go. Well, we're going to be good. Everything's fine. You know, probably nothing. And uh, they admit her after several hours in triage and running tests and everything, they admit her, they go, you're leaking amniotic fluid. We're just going to put you in the hospital. We're going to put you on bed rest, and we'll talk to your doctor in the morning. It's like, okay. So the doc comes in, and she goes, her OB comes in and goes, uh, you know, you're leaking fluid. I'm not that worried. All his vitals are good. Everything seems to be good. We're just going to keep you in here. We're going to put you on bed rest, and we're going to try to keep him in as long as we can because 34 weeks is really not a good time to have a baby. Like, they think they're developed, but they're not really developed enough yet to breathe on their own, but they think they are. And a lot of times it becomes very dangerous to have a baby at 34 weeks. We said, okay, whatever you want to do, Doc. And I'm going, what about that word about faith? And we walk, the Doc walks out of the room, and she comes back in a few minutes later. She goes, no, we're going to have this baby today. Something's going on. I don't like it. I don't know what it is, but we just need to have this baby today. I said, okay. So they start Pitocin and all that good stuff, breaker water, all that jazz. And the whole time they're monitoring his vitals and everything's good and everything looks good. You know, no problems. And then later in the evening, she starts pushing. And uh, we get to that point and there's a bunch of doctors in the room because they've warned us already he's 34 weeks. He'll probably have to go to NICU. But, you know, maybe not even that. We'll just see how it goes. But everything's going to be good. I said, all right. They start pushing. She starts pushing. And in when he's crowning, the, one of the nurses goes, huh, very calmly. Hmm, is that a full knot? 
And I don't, I'm like, you know, 23, 24 years old. I don't even know what they're talking about. I'm also a guy. So combine those two things. I'm just like, oh, interesting. And somewhere, once again, his vitals remain stable the whole time until this moment. What we didn't know is the cord was wrapped two or three times around his neck. And also, there is a full knot in the umbilical cord. Now, if you don't know what that basically equates to, imagine somebody coming and wrapping their hands around your neck and squeezing. Because that's where every all life is being sustained to him in the womb through that umbilical cord. We find out later that a in pregnancies, a full knot, false knots are pretty common, but a full knot, a complete tied tight full knot happened in less than 1% of pregnancies and of the less than 1%, less than 1% live and the ones that do live are not born vaginally. They are generally born via C-section. Well, he was not a C-section baby because every time you push, it's just tightening that knot. So the doc looks at her. I'm going somewhere. Y'all just hang with me. Y'all give me time today. I'm going to take it anyway. So your pastor said I'm good. So our doctor looks at us and says, you've got to get him out with one push. Now, he's, he's got to come out very calmly. And once again, I'm a 23-year-old dude, and I'm like, I think something's happening, but I'm not quite sure what it is. It's also just the adrenaline of everything and all that. If you've ever been through it, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm holding her hand, and she pushes, and he's born, and there's no cry. There's no nothing. And uh, you know those moments in life that you can put yourself back in that same moment and the same feelings and the same everything. You can smell the smells when you think about it. This is that moment for me more than anything. And there's no crying. There's no nothing. He's across the room like, Dad, do you want to cut the umbilical cord? I'm like, he's over. They had already done it. They were just trying to keep things normal for me. And the first image I have of my son firstborn child in my brain first image I have of him is looking over my shoulder and seeing his 4 pound 15 ounce body that is gray and blue and a nurse standing over him with two fingers doing chest compressions that's the first image you have of your kid and the next thing I remember is hearing nurses and doctors start to use this terminology. One minute still. He's not breathing. He's not crying. Two minutes still. And it's in those moments that you're thankful that you're filled with the Holy Ghost. Because <laughs> I didn't have any English words to say or to pray or to come out of me in that moment because it was pure desperation. And the only thing I knew to do was start praying in the Holy Ghost. And that's what I did. I don't know what. And my mother was in the room with us. And my dad, some of y'all know my dad. He's, it's been a while since he's been here, but he's been here before. And uh, my mom was in the room. My dad was in the waiting room room with, you know, 30 or 40 family members and church members. And they basically <laughs> turned the the uh, the LD waiting room into an intercession room <laughs> leading up to it. People were getting off the elevator, didn't know what was going on. People were just were, come on, in the labor delivery room. Because whenever you're desperate for God to move, you don't care what people think about you. I wasn't wondering, are the nurses going to think I'm weird for praying in the Holy Ghost? And by the way, I wasn't. My, my son's life was on the line. Pray bold. My, my, my wife was in the room. I mean, she, obviously she was in there. My mother was in the room. My wife was also there because she was birthing the child. <laughs> my mom was in the room. My dad was in the writing room, and she sent him a text. She sent a text and said, we need him to breathe. And uh, I can remember clear as day, I can hear the sound of a text coming back to her 
And I heard the ding, ding, that the text had been received. And my dad sends back this text, and it just says it simply, in Jesus' name, breathe. And simultaneously, there's a ding, and there's a faint cry that emerges from this table where they've been working. And he starts to breathe. All that night, it was kind of up and down. It was crazy. And I remember going into, and if I would have known I was going to do this, I would have sent them the picture so they could pop it up on the screen. Remember the first time I go into the room, the NICU, really the first time I'm getting to meet my son. And he's got lines coming out from everywhere, and he's intubated, and he's got a thing up his nose, and, you know, just cables and cords, and haven't even held him yet. And uh, walk in, and first thing I, I look at the nurse, and I said, when do we get to take him home? And she looked at me like I was insane. And she said, Mr. Gay, you don't understand. You have a very, very sick baby. We don't even know if he's going to make it yet. You've got a sick child. He's going to be here a minimum of six weeks. And by the way, he will have difficulties the entirety of his life. He will always be small. He will likely have extreme learning disabilities and problems his whole life because he went for all this time without oxygen. And she walked away. The nurse did. And I wasn't mad at her. I wasn't angry at her. I knew she's just going by what she sees. She's she's trying to prepare me based upon what science says. But sometimes whenever science has a word, you've got to believe the report of the Lord in spite of what everybody else is saying. I don't care what the prognosis is over your health, over your finances, what you've been told about your situation, your marriage, your kids. Listen, sometimes you have to just believe the report of the Lord in spite of what everyone else says. And she walked away and I said, we don't receive that in Jesus' name. We don't receive it. Not mad at her, but we just don't receive that. We would find out later that in the NICU, they started calling him the live and thrive baby because they couldn't understand how he was recovering so fast. And I remember we, we set up watches around to where it was four hours a day that we couldn't be in the NICU, but for the other 20 hours of the day, somebody was in there with him. And he was in an incubator a lot. And we'd reach our hands through that incubator and we'd lay hands on him, we'd pray for him, we'd sing over him, we'd do all this stuff. I haven't even gotten my message yet. I don't know why I'm telling y'all this. Somebody just needs to hear this this morning. And uh, we're in there, and there was this line that went in his mouth down into his stomach because they're having to feed him that way. And one day my dad goes in, and he goes, my dad hated that cord. More than he hated that thing with a passion. And he goes in one day after a shift to change, and he goes, hey, I see y'all took that tube out of his stomach. And they said, we did what? He said, that tube that was in his mouth running down, y'all took it out. And they said, we didn't take anything out. But it was gone. <laughs> and the only thing we can figure, because he had already started doing this, his little under five pound body, he had already started reaching up. He had a, a, an oxygen, you know, oxygen feeding into his nose and he started reaching up, his hand shaking, and he'd grab it and he'd pull it off. And one or two things happened. Either God supernaturally removed that tube or this kid reached up and pulled it out himself. But it was gone. You can see him today. He's not small at all. He's eating beef jerky on Nashville hot chicken sandwiches. He's never had a learning disability a day in his life. Smart as a whip. He'll sit there and go, go with anybody. I'm like, that's my kid right there. When I say this, I said, listen, God is interested in your situation, and he wants to move miraculously in your life. I don't care what the prognosis is over your situation. God's going to have the last word, and it might be a battle of faith, and it might test you, but he's going to have the last word in your life and in your situation. So I don't care how hopeless you might feel today. There's hope for whatever's going on in your life, and God's going to move. Amen? Amen. All right, that's message number one. Let's get into message number two. Uh, thank you, brother. I'm good. Listen, I, I, 
we're going to shift a little bit, but I, I believe God has great things in store for this church. How many believe God has great things in store for Hope Unlimited? All right, thank you all nine of you who are excited to be here this morning. How many believe God has great things in store for this church? Listen, Hope Unlimited, what, 2018 is when y'all were established? In 2018. 2018. And in 2018, I don't think any of us could have foreseen the storm that was ahead of us. That the next, you know, couple years that we are still kind of living in would bring on. 2018 seems like much simpler times. Am I right? Much simpler times. But the reality is, uh, and, and by the way, the endurance of this church to make it through that speaks not only to your leaders, but to you who are part of this church. Because it was not difficult for churches to endure and thrive and make it through some of the times that we've been through. So the reality is we've been through some strange times and we're still living in some strange days. It seems like this season has brought news, posts, situations, circumstances that just kind of make you scratch your head. Just go, what, what planet am I living on right now? Am I preaching to anybody this morning? What in the world is going on today? What in the world are we going through? What in the world? Now, there's been times where I was like, this has got to be a dream with what we're living through right now. Whenever COVID first hit in, in, in 2020, we were living in Orlando. Uh, and we had a church there, and God was doing great things. And then, I don't go through the whole story, but God transitioned us back to our hometown, and we're uh, assuming lead pastor role there. But it was really, I was telling Pastor Cole yesterday, we... I think in like May or so, we were like tired of being in the house and some places were starting to do like takeout. Y'all remember those days? And we drove down near Disney World and we ate in the parking lot from like, you know, on the border or something. And it was like the best meal I had ever had in my entire life. And then we drove on to Disney property and didn't see another soul in sight the entire time we were driving through Disney World, except for the security guard that started trailing us because he was figured we must have been up to no good because who was going to drive around Disney World with COVID going on? And I looked at my wife and said, I feel like I'm like the walking dead or something. Like we're waiting for a zombie to pop out or something because there's not another soul in Disney World. If you've ever been to Disney World, you know that doesn't happen at all. People are standing on top of each other. And it's back like that now. People, people, well, people are concerned about COVID until they go to Disney World. Then nobody cares at all. Doesn't exist there. Y'all don't get offended. Don't try to read into that. Don't try to figure out. I'm not making a statement. It's just funny. All right. And that morning, it was like, man, this just feels like a dream. Driving around Disney World, there's not another soul in sight. I'll let you know this isn't new. Throughout history, there have been times where things have just been strange. They've been off. They've been odd. So, like, things are just kind of upside down. It's hard to tell which way is up. But I believe the Lord desires for us to overcome regardless of what is going on. And I want to talk to you this morning quickly-ish about how we can overcome in the midst of strangeness. Everybody will go to Matthew 3. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. And we're just going to kind of flow and see where God goes this morning. And is it okay with y'all if we just kind of get in the river and go? Matthew 3, verse 1. In those days, in those days, in those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore bear fruit worthy of repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God's able... From these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is laying at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who's coming after me is more powerful than I am, and I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit 
and with fire. Very familiar passage of scripture, especially if you are Pentecostal, charismatic, prophetic people. The emergence of John the Baptist. But the scripture starts with this statement, in those days. In those days. Now, we kind of have a tendency to just read over that and get to the meat of the scripture. But it's important that we understand the days that are being referenced. Now, I, I, I know you're your founding pastor, I know Pastor Coles, I know they tell you this, but you, you can't just read the Bible. You, you've got to actually read the Bible properly and understand context of what's going on to really fully grasp what's being said. If you're just trying to check the scripture off your one-year reading plan to make sure that you read it and you're reading it as fast as you can to get through it so you can check, off the, check it off the list and then go, I read the Bible but you don't understand anything that's being said, it's not really profiting you very much. Which, by the way, you should be reading the Bible, so I'm not saying don't read the Bible because it's not important. I'm saying it is so important that when you read it, you need to understand what it is saying. Because it is so important that you need to understand what is being communicated to you, not just reading it like some book that you can check off and go, I read 20 books this year. Didn't learn anything from it, didn't grow at all, but I read 20 books. Good for you. Y'all with me? You got to read the Bible. And you have to understand that those days that are being talked about, they weren't great days for the people of God. They're very strange days. There's You think we have political unrest? Y'all are getting, y'all are getting, I can feel y'all getting tense. Y'all are going to be okay. It's going to be all right today. Y'all think we have political unrest? They are living under the dominion of a foreign occupier. You got it pretty good. All right. I said, we got it pretty good compared to them. Are there problems politically? Well, yes. Is water wet? Yes, there's problems politically. Yes, there are issues. Yes, there are problems. But the reality is it's pretty mild for us today compared to what they were going on. It amazes me how every generation wants to convince themselves that they are the most persecuted. We got it way. They were crucifying people on the side of the road for fun. You got mad because you had to wear a mask. All right. We're being persecuted. Calm down. Just chill out. You aren't John the Baptist. All right. Selah. So think about these days. They're living under the occupation of a foreign ruler. They're in a situation where, like I said, there's public executions happening alongside the road. Their, their religious leaders, their pastors are crooked and corrupt. I mean, this sounds somewhat similar. Not your pastor, but the other ones. Corrupt, in bed with Rome, in bed with political power. Well, shout somebody. Listen, I've, I've heard Pastor Casey. This is mild. Y'all just calm down. They're in bed with political power. They're bowing to power structures that they're called to rebuke. Hmm? And at the same time, God's been silent for 500 years. Some of y'all need a word every week from God to get out of bed. Y'all got to feel led on whether you're, God, should I go to church this morning or not? Yes, you should get your butt up and go to church on time. All right, if you're late today, I'm not rebuking you. I love you. But I'm gonna I'm gonna leave. I'm flying out this afternoon. I ain't gotta deal with y'all next week. Pastor Cole does. <laughs> go to church. Should I should I work or should I go to a new job? Well, do you have another job on the table that's a better job, or you just want to be lazy and stay at home and play PlayStation and want God to give you an excuse to do it? All right. Y'all okay? Everybody okay? All right. If you're not, 
There's no prophetic voice that's arising. There's no revival. There's no word about how you're the generation that's going to change the world. There's none of that. There's nothing. God's silent for 500 years. They're living in strange days. Everything is upside down. But listen, we have the scripture, and in the scripture, we see the solution to a culture and a world that's been completely and totally turned upside down, completely jacked up, completely messed up, completely oppressive. We see what the answer is. A voice crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. It is a prophetic voice. It is the release of a prophetic voice that begins to set things right. It is the release of a prophetic voice that begins to make the road straight. It's the release of a prophetic voice that starts to turn things right side up again and undo all the problems that they're facing. And I, y'all hear me, hear me. I'm prophetic to my bones. And Pastor Colt knows this. And if y'all know me, if you know my family at all, it's who we are. Just, it's who I am. I was raised at eight years old, 30 years ago, nearly, having, believing and traveling all over the U.S. with my dad preaching. And he'd get up and he'd prophesy to people before, prophet, before the prophetic was cool. And everybody thinks they're prophetic and they're really not all that prophetic. And him praying over people and at eight years old, come stand by me. I want you to pray and I want you to believe God for a word to give somebody at eight. Do we really believe your sons and daughters will prophesy? Is that something we just say? Because we think it's a cool thing to say. So I'm prophetic to my bones. But I fear that in the world today, what we have lost in prophetic authenticity has caused us to water down what God wants us to really release and really say. Because we so want to be accepted by culture. We so want to be accepted by political power. We so want the big Instagram following. And we want to preach at all the big conferences. And we want to do this. And we want to hang out with the pop stars and all this. And what we have done is we have compromised the the authentic prophetic voice. And we have substituted it for something that is so watered down. And by the way, you can see this just by what people want to talk about because there are certain issues that they'll talk about because they know that their following is okay with them talking about it and they'll cheer them on, but they won't talk about the things that they need to be addressed about because they're afraid people might lose their following. Hmm? They got no problem confronting some things because they know that all the people that are cheering them on are going to go, yeah, pastor, yeah, that's a man of God. But there's other things they're going to be quiet about because they're afraid somebody's going to get their feelings hurt and somebody might tweet something mean about them. All right. It's the release of prophetic voice that really begins to make the, make the way for Jesus to make things right in the world. And I believe this firmly, that it's time for a true prophetic voice to begin to emerge again from the church, to prophesy to our culture, to prophesy to the church. Because this is the reality. A lot of what I see from what the prophetic camps are today is they're good at one or the other, but they don't do both. They'll either prophesy to the culture about how wicked they are or they'll prophesy to the church about how broken it is, but they don't have the ability to do both. And a prophetic voice does both. John did both. He's telling the world, y'all need to repent. And he's telling the church, the religious system of the day, y'all need to repent. And we're good at doing one or the other, but we're terrible at doing both. We don't have balance. We don't, we don't, Jesus said narrow is the road, narrow is the road that leads to life and few there are that find it. You know, the narrow road, you have to walk with balance. And there's some people that say, we don't like the word balance, and that's fine. I understand the sentiment of what you're saying. But the reality is you have to walk in some balance because if you don't walk in balance, you'll trip and fall. Hmm? You have to walk in some balance. Balance doesn't mean compromise. Balance means that you don't get into extremes. Y'all with me? Okay. I believe really that there are prophetic voices that are being that have been formed in places that haven't been seen. John was formed in a place that wasn't seen in the wilderness. Nobody was there watching John. Which I, I talk about this. I didn't bring any. If I talk about this, you can go get it on Amazon. I talk about this in my book on sonship. The reality is this. Anything that is ever going to develop a strong root system that led, allows it to endure, the root system is formed when nobody else sees it. It's happening under dirt. It's happening under soil that's planted. 
it's happening in places. Everybody wants to be the, everybody wants to have fruit. But if you want to have fruit, you're going to have to develop roots in a place that no one sees. Before I ever preached, I did video ministry for years and was in a room with me and a headset and camera operators and then edited. And the reason I did it is because my dad was the pastor of a church. We had words about having a television ministry and we couldn't pay anybody to lead a television ministry. So at 17, I was cheap labor. You can figure it out. And you know, I'm going to get on a whole different subject, but this is going to be good. You know whatever I, you know what I said whenever my dad came to me and said, we're going to do television ministry and we need you to lead it. You know what I said? I'm going to go pray about it. No. That's not what I said at all. I said, yes, sir. If that's what we need, that's what I'll do. Have I ever, did I have a desire to do video ministry? <laughs> Never crossed my brain. I said, yes, sir. Did it for years. Now I've got people I've trained up to do it, so I don't have to do it. But I did it first. I, I play, I was watching my brother up here on the bass. I played bass for years, led worship. I can't really do it anymore because my shoulder's jacked up from doing it for so many years. And I didn't know how to play the bass. I don't know how to do anything like halfway. Like if I'm, whenever I played bass, I was like, you know, run across the stage while leading worship. I'm, y'all think I'm lying. I'm being serious. I had a wireless pack so I could move. True story. And uh, whenever I learned to play bass, I was in the eighth grade when I started learning how to play bass. You know why I started learning how to play bass? Because we didn't have a bass player in the church. And dad came to me and said, hey, I think you can learn to play bass. I said, yes, sir. You buy it for me? I ain't got no money because I'm in the eighth grade. You buy it for me and I'll learn to play it. I played bass for 20 years. I can still play if I need to. I can still throw down. I did it at our church's 25th anniversary. I was like, hey, I can still throw down if I need to. My fingers hurt for a little bit, but let me just say this. This is not in my message, not really connected to my message, but this is good. If you're in this church and you're serving, you don't need a word on if you need to serve. Here's the word. This is where you're called to be. You're called to serve. Well, what am I supposed to do? Whatever you can put your hand to the plow to do, do it. If, if they need people to work nursery, you become the best nursery worker they've ever seen. If they need people to work sound, you go watch YouTube videos till you learn how to do sound and you become the best sound man that the church has ever seen. Make yourself indispensable, not because you're trying to curry favor, but because you're here to serve the Lord and in serving, by the way, let me say this, people, I'm here to serve God. If you're here to serve God, serve your leaders because God placed them in the church. As leaders, serve your leaders. I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about go, you know, unless you want to, and God tells you to do it, fine. But I'm not saying go wash their car once a week. Although if God tells you to, Pastor Cole would gladly receive it. But I'm saying whenever you're here, you serve your face off. You do what, don't be the person. And by the way, you will get out whatever you put in. Some of you are going, I don't really feel anything in service. Well, maybe if you put something in, you would get something out of it. I don't really feel the anointing of God. Well, what are you giving? Have you, are, you, are you even giving financially? Because if you aren't giving financially, you ain't going to get much out of it. Are you giving of your time? Because if you're not giving of your time, you're not. We, we have to get out of these people that want everything but never want to give anything. If you're ever going to get, you've got to give. Jesus said, give and it shall be given. He didn't say it's given unto you, so now give. He said give, and it shall be given unto you. If you want to receive something, you better start giving. We want the anointing. I want to be a prophet. Get, just give. Go change a diaper in the nursery. Go hug somebody's neck who comes through the door. Because if you just want a microphone, you don't want to minister. I'm going to say it again. I said, if you just want a microphone, you don't want to minister. You want a platform. And there's a difference between wanting to minister and wanting a platform. Because right now, across the street, there's people watching kids and babies. And they're ministering just like I'm ministering. It's just being expressed in a different manner. There's people back in that booth that are running cameras and sound and screens. And guess what? They're ministering just like I'm ministering. You don't need a microphone. You just need to get planted and get involved. Just too much for y'all today. 
solution to an upside down world, a voice crying in the wilderness. There's those voices that are coming. They're emerging. They haven't been formed by religious tradition. Nor have they been tainted by political power. They're coming with a pure word to release into the world that sees things shift. John emerges with a word from heaven, repent. We need an emergence of repentance again in the earth. Now, we think repent means to say, I'm sorry. We think repent means to turn around and go the other way. And there's some truth in that. But repent actually means to have a change in your thinking. Because before you can turn around, you got to change the way you think first. I'm walking this way right now. And guess what? In a minute, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go that way. But you know what had to happen for that to transpire? Something had to happen in my brain to say, turn around, change the way you're going, and go back that way. we got to change the way that we think about some things. Listen, prophetic voices will challenge the status quo. They let you know what you've been doing isn't going to get you to the finish line of where you want to go. They begin to challenge our thinking that we might have thought that endures for generations. Now, by the way, we, nobody likes having their thinking challenged. We really don't because we like comfort. We like security. We like to think we've always been right and that we'll always be right. But guess what? You're not right about everything. I'm not right about everything. Over the past several years, there's some things and some thinkings and some ways of thought that have been challenged in me. And I've changed some of the way that I think about things. Don't try to figure out what it is because I ain't going to tell you. Some ways that I think about things have been challenged and I've had to change. We don't like that word change. But guess what? Growing things change. If something is growing, it is changing. You know what doesn't change? Things that are dead. Do you want to be something that's alive and changing or dead and just you're just set? If you're going to be living, you're going to and grow, you're going to change. But those voices that come declaring repent, there's always going to be people who aren't happy when you start doing that. Because when true prophetic voices emerge, people on the earth are known to rage over it. And if you don't believe it, look at social media. Especially the last couple of days, it has been a war zone out there. The religious elite hated John. John comes right out of the gate and he starts to rebuke them for their haughtiness and their arrogance. Unless we forget, John was raised around this, so he's seen it his whole life. He was aware that the way had been lost by the religious elite. So John comes out rebuking them. Y'all probably heard this before. And the reason John does that is because a true prophetic voice will speak uncomfortable truths to their own tribe. They don't just rebuke everybody who's not like them. It's easy to look at the world and go, that wicked world with their wicked ways and their sin and their haughtiness. and We got it all together, but they're the ones who are messed up. And as long as you view the world through a lens of us versus them, you'll never really affect anybody. It's not us versus them, it's us for them. That God sent us not against them, but God sent us for them. God sent us to speak truth to them. And sometimes that truth is uncomfortable, and sometimes truth hurts, but we always do have to make, make sure that our truth is bathed in love. All right. John doesn't dress right. John doesn't sound right. John isn't bowing to what his culture's told him to do. And so his own tribe has issues with him. And so does Rome. You know, Herod Antipas, he was the, Antipas was the Roman anointed ruler in Judea, and he isn't a fan either because John's rebuked Herod for marrying Herodias, who was the ex-wife of his brother. It's pretty jacked up. Your brother to marry your ex-wife. But, and by the way, the only reason it was his ex-wife is because she divorced him to marry Herod. Imagine your wife leaving you for your brother. Me and, me and bro going to have a fight. So John isn't making fans with anyone in power because the role of the prophetic was never to appeal to power but to release truth. The prophetic was never intended to just be popular. It was intended to put things right. It was intended to be a voice of restoration, not a voice of condemnation but of restoration. Now, let me give the balance to that. Sometimes people who are living in sin will receive a voice of restoration and they'll say, you're condemning me. 
But just because you're speaking truth doesn't mean you're speaking condemnation, even if people try to say it's condemnation, because truth sometimes will convict. As a matter of fact, truth will always convict. And there will always be people who go, you're condemning me. I'm just speaking the truth. And if you want to take it as condemnation, what you're really feeling, what you're really feeling is the Holy Spirit trying to get a hold of you and tell you you need to quit it. But it's a lot easier for you to say I'm being condemning and a bigot, come on somebody, than for you to receive it in your heart and go, maybe the Holy Spirit's trying to change me. So you do have to be wise to discern when the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and telling you to change. Because listen, I've gotten words before that I didn't like. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I've always heard everything I've, that's been preached at me that I needed to hear. I went, yes, hallelujah, I receive it. There's been times I've heard the truth preached. I go, they're being mean to me right now. I don't like this. But then the Holy Spirit goes, yeah, but I'm talking to you right now. They're not condemning you. I'm talking to you right now to get you to repent. And you go, all right, sorry. Y'all ever half-heartedly repent and have to slowly walk it out? I have. I know y'all have. Y'all never done that. Y'all run to the altar and cry as soon as the Holy Spirit convicts you. But I've had half-hearted repentance that i got to walk out slowly before. I'd rather you walk it out slowly, though, than not walk it out at all. Mm. Yeah, I won't go there today. Yeah, I will. Just because people don't get it immediately doesn't mean they don't get it. Sometimes people are walking through a process, and we got to have grace for people in the process. And we can't throw them out just because they're not on fire for God like you are. Sometimes it's a process of, of, of deliverance. There are people that got healed instantly when Jesus laid hands on them. And there are people that it said they were healed as they went on their way. Some people get it immediately. And some people have to walk out a process of getting it. And you know what? They love Jesus just as much as you do. They're just in a different point of the process. And by the way, you haven't always been there either. So have some grace because somebody had grace with you while you were walking it out. But there's a prophetic voice getting ready to emerge within the earth to set things right. And I told Pastor Cole this yesterday. I'm going to say it now. And I, I know what time it is. I'm sorry. Y'all just hang with me. But I, I do firmly believe that there is a new prophetic mantle that is being placed upon this church in this season. There is a, Pastor Cole, there, there, is, a, there is a demand that God is putting on it in this season to pull it out of you guys in a way it's never seen, been seen before. And it's going to look, I'm just going to prophesy, it's going to look a little bit different than you've seen. And I believe even over the next year, there's going to be some transformation just in the way that service feels. Just the atmosphere. And just the anointing in the room. It's not that it's not anointed, it's not that there's not a good atmosphere. But there's going to begin to be a transformation. And there's going to be more Holy Spirit in this room than you've ever seen in your life. And there's going to be more of a flow, more of a prophetic river that begins to emerge. And I believe that even in this community, this place is going to begin to develop a reputation of that's where the spirit flows. That's where the prophetic voice begins to emerge. There's going to be, there, there is a, there are people, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm not preaching now, I'm just prophesying. There, there have been people that have tried to put a label on this place over the past two years. And they've tried to improperly label this place. But the Lord says, I'm putting a new label on this place. And the Lord says that the, the label that they've attempted to put will no longer stand. And I, I see a picture of the Lord like, uh, there's a, a label that some, that people have tried to put over this place. And I just, I see it in the spirit. I see a picture of the outside of this place and there's like a label that they've tried to put. And I see the Lord coming with an eraser and he's erasing that label and he's putting a new label on this on this place. He's saying that he, it is my habitation. And the Lord's saying he's going to have, he, there's going to be a habitation of his glory in this place. And people are going to spend a walk in and they're going to go, it feels different than it felt. And I feel there, there's even some people that have <laughs> there are even some people that have tried to put that label that they're going to come back and they're going to repent and they're going to get back in this place and they're going to go, it feels different than it felt before. I know some of y'all, I can feel y'all struggling with that. That's all right. This is what the Lord's saying to y'all. And the Lord is saying that he's going to put a new label and there's going to be a new glory on this place. And I even feel for your leadership team, there's going to be a new prophetic zeal and there's going to be a new prophetic fire. And I want, I, let me just say this real quick. I'm going to, 
pop back into preach mode for a second. Whenever we say prophetic zeal, prophetic fire, that doesn't mean weird. For too long, we have just taken things that are weird and called them prophetic. Just because it's weird doesn't mean it's prophetic. Some things are just weird. That's not prophetic. It's just weird. You just need to get set free of weirdness and just be normal. Because y'all understand what I mean when I say normal. A normal human being. Some of y'all go out and so I've seen people do this before. I've prophesied to people at all kinds of places. And I don't have to go, hold on. For the Lord would say to you, son and daughter. I've done, I do that in the church. But there's times I've ministered to people in all kinds of places. And just be like, hey, I just really feel the Lord just wants to tell you this. And just have a plain conversation with somebody. Stop being weird. Just be normal. Just release a word normally. You ain't got to spit all over people and just try to push them down on the ground. Because God knows if they fall because you pushed them real hard. Y'all are laughing because some of y'all have given people pity falls before. They're pushing real hard. I'm just going to lay down so they'll stop pushing me. I'll lay on this floor for about 60 seconds so they feel good about themselves. I'm going to go back to my seat. Best reaction all day is to the pity fall. I'm going to wrap up. I might prophesy over some people. It's imperative to remember this. John was important. The prophetic is important. Jesus said no man born of woman was greater than John. That's pretty important. Imagine Jesus saying, hey, there's no person that's ever been born who's more important than this guy. Pretty high praise. But John still wasn't the point. The prophetic released for the sake of being released isn't the point. The point of the prophetic is not so people who are, have a prophetic anointing can prophesy. The point of the prophetic being released is for a way to be made for Jesus to show up. One who's more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. John makes the way for the one who's coming with fire. There's a prophetic voice that is coming that's going to make the way for the fire of God. The fire that burns up that which is part of Christ in his nature. The fire that burns up the thing that's inside of us that's our flesh that needs to be burned away. The fire that begins to release power within our lives to do what he's called to do. The fire that begins to allow us to move in the miraculous. But listen, listen, listen. We only get there if the prophetic voice emerges and says, prepare you the way of the Lord. That's how we get there. The answer to the strange days we're living right now, and I don't want y'all to read anything into this statement, so y'all just take it for what it is. Don't try to figure out what I'm addressing. I'm not addressing anything. I'm speaking very broadly. The solution to our world today is not legislation. There is good legislation. Amen? And there's bad legislation. But neither good, le good legislation is not the answer. The solution to our world is not a president. I believe you should vote righteously when you can. <laughs> Becomes tough today. But you should vote righteously when you can. But listen, if we had a Holy Ghost-filled president in the office today, it's still not the answer. It's not job done. We've accomplished our purpose. We got somebody who speaks in tongues in the office. That was the purpose of the church. That's not the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to reach people where they're at. And see, you know how we're going to change the nation? One life at a time. Reaching one person at a time. Loving them where they're at, but saying Jesus has more for you. Going, I, I love you while you're in your sin, but you also need to leave the sin behind because there's holiness that is calling you. That's how we're going to see it change. And that comes from us beginning to prophesy. Come on, brother, play the keys for me. I want you to think, I'm going to close with this for real this time. I know Pastor Cole never has four closings, but I'm going to have about seven. I've heard Pastor Casey preach a lot. He closes a lot. I want you to think about this. 
I, I think probably when we talk about the prophetic, one of the most common scriptures that people think about is Ezekiel chapter 37. Y'all know it, hopefully. Ezekiel in the valley of dry bones. God takes Ezekiel to valley. And God asks Ezekiel, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel should have run for office politically because he gives the best political answer that you've ever heard. He goes, Lord, you alone know. That's brilliant if you really think about it. God asks you a question. God, you know the answer. Lord, you alone know. And he goes, Ezekiel, prophesy to the bones. You know what Ezekiel does? He starts going, you good-for-nothing lazy bones who are supposed to be an army, and what are you doing? And you've been rebuked for living under your purpose. That's not what he does at all. But that's what a lot of prophetic voices want to do today is rebuke everybody into being what they've been called to be. But Ezekiel doesn't rebuke them into an army. He speaks life over them into becoming an army. And let me just say this, because I know there's a lot of... A lot of y'all are young in this. A lot of y'all are younger than me. I feel kind of old in here today. Tom, you with me? But there, there's been a lot of bad things said about, and I am a millennial, barely, but I'm a millennial. There's been a lot of bad things said about millennials and Gen Z and all this. And But what if we stopped talking about how terrible they were? and started prophesying life and destiny over them. What if we started talking about what they were called to be rather than talking about everything that they're not? What if we started speaking purpose over them rather than talking about how messed up and jacked up and they eat Tide Pods and they're this and that and the... What if we prophesied life? What if instead of in your city, you stopped talking about the things that aren't right and the problems, and you started prophesying life over Knoxville? What if you, instead of going home this afternoon and talking about the things that weren't right in church, and so-and-so didn't greet me, and this person didn't even look my way, what if you started releasing life over your church instead of complaining about it all the time? Because we have to go back to, you have, you want to be prophetic? A lot of people just want to be angry and call it prophetic. But let's go back to the New Testament, what it says the prophetic, specifically the gift of prophecy is for exhortation, edification, and comfort. If you're not doing those things, you're not operating in the gift of prophecy. You're doing something completely different. You're just mad. Get unmad and start speaking life over people and watch how God begins to shift things. I was a youth pastor for years, many moons ago. And I'm glad that season of my life is over. I was their daughter-in-law's youth pastor. I was Stephen Christie's daughter-in-law's youth pastor. I guess I did okay. But trust me, I went through as a youth pastor. Sometimes you just wanted to rebuke kids up one side and down the other. Come on, Cole was a youth pastor. You know what I'm talking about. And I learned over a certain point in time that you can't rebuke kids into living right. But you can love them into living right. You can be there for them into living right. We were just, in our city, they just did an FCA camp, and I'm on the FCA board there. And we were going through the, we were going through the teams that were going to come to this basketball camp, and I noticed that the school in our backyard wasn't on the list, two miles from our church. And I said, hey, why isn't Rutherford on the list? And they said, well, Pastor, honestly, just the kids can't afford the 100 bucks to come. And in the board meeting, all these other pastors said, we got it. They said, you don't know how much it is or how many kids are. I said, I don't care. We got it. I said, we got generous people. They'll take care of it. No problem. We sent all these kids to FCA camp. Most of them weren't saved. I don't even know if any of them hardly even got anything out of it, but it's seed planted. What if instead of waiting for the fire of God, which I believe in, I'm talking about it today. What if we just started loving people where they're at and sowing seed in them, knowing that it's going to have a harvest? I wouldn't talk to, I wouldn't preach to those kids. And most of them stared at me the whole time. Like just, the guy talking about Jesus, whatever. But it's seed planted. It's prophetic seed planted in lives that's going to have a harvest. What if you just started planting seed? What if we really started prophesying and not just being angry and frustrated and mad? How could Knoxville change? How could Hope Unlimited change? if we really embraced a real prophetic mantle 
and anointing and begin to call those things that are not as though they are. I'm telling you, you can begin to change. I mean, I have been overnight, but it can change. They can be healed as they go on their way. How many say today, Pastor, you know, I'm, I'm willing to do that. I want to embrace that prophetic mantle and anointing in my life. And I want to see what God does. Will you stand up to your feet? Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit hopeunlimited.church give. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Unlimited Church.